Paranormal Perception is a full-bodied apparition summoned by... 22 Creations Multimedia, LLC. You've found it. Your guide through the unknown. Artificial intelligence, cryptozoology, disclosure, parapsychology, a world of shadows. It is called the unknown for a reason. This is your guide through the new normal for the new decade. Paranormal Perception with Henry San Miguel. Close your eyes, open your ears. And your mind. This, this is your, is new, your perception new perception on the paranormal. Paranormal perception. Here's your host, Henry San Miguel. Welcome to Paranormal Perception. How are you doing? Hope everybody's doing fine. So, uh, I like it. Like I teased on the uh, on the other show, on the Geeks Big Show, a brand new Paranormal Perception episode, and we're t- I'm going to talk about something that. I actually haven't covered on Paranormal Perception. I, I thought I had, but I was going over the archives uh, last night, and, and no, I haven't. So this should be a good one, and that that is Crop Circles. Crop Circles, it's been around for quite a while, as you'll find out as, as we go on with this conversation. And there's a new documentary by a friend of ours, Darcy Weir. He's going to join us in a second also. he You heard him. You remember he was on with Stephen Bassett, uh, I think, at the beginning of this season, uh, about a couple months ago now. Uh, so now he's back. He has a new documentary. This one is called Crop Circle Realities. Are crop circles made only by man? It's available on iTunes, on Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, Xbox, um, DirecTV, Network. To make it easy for you guys, everywhere that it's available, I have it linked up on the show description. Just click on the title. It'll take you. And however you watch it, click on there and it'll take you there. So. Also joining us is someone who you'll see in this documentary, Gary King. Gary King is a world-renowned crop circle reporter and researcher, and he has very, very compelling evidence, video evidence. So we'll definitely talk about that. So let's welcome them both, Darcy and Gary. Welcome to Paranormal Perception. How are you guys doing? Henry, I'm good. Thank you. Hi, Henry. I'm really good. Thanks. Yeah, good. Good to talk to you again, Darcy. And and uh, let, let me, Gary. Let me start with you before we go to Darcy. Let me start with you and and start with, like I said, crop circles, the phenomenon that's been around for for a while. But for for you, when when and how did you first learn about crop circles? Um, it was 1997. I was um, I, I used to be a lawyer, and I kind of burnt out and was taking some time off um, through stress, basically. And during that time, I was, you know, doing alternative therapies, going to yoga classes and meditation and Tai Chi and all that sort of stuff. And I met a, a kind of uh, a really good teacher who, come, who was over from America uh, and did a workshop with him and then found out that he was also over in the UK to visit the crop circles. So I asked if I could tag along. Um, and he picked me up one morning and drove me over to Wiltshire. I lived uh, at that time 70 miles away from the kind of main area where the crop circles appear. Um, and when we got there, there was a fresh crop circle that had appeared overnight. Um, so we walked into it um, and I marched around inside and, and scratched my head. And, and, and this teacher pointed out various aspects of the formation to me and, 
um, and my enthusiasm grew from there really and I and I, as I often say I, that after walking into that first crop circle I never really left and here I am 25 years later from well, from when you first saw it because uh, uh, like you said that's that's the first time you ever heard or saw a crop circle when you first saw it was your was your first inclination that it was something extraterrestrial or man-made or what, what did you think when you first saw it I didn't really know, to be honest. Um, I, we drove uh, as we approached it. You sort of come over a hill, and then then it revealed it revealed itself to us on uh, an incline of a hill on uh, the other side, sort of further down across the vale. So it was very striking. I just remember seeing it and saying to him, "Is that a crop circle?" And he said, "Stop the car! Stop the car!" And 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 we stopped and we just stared at it. Um, it was it was this kind of torus knot design. It's lots of interwoven circles around the circle, and we sat there for sort of ten minutes and just stared at it. And and it was very very striking in the landscape. And then uh, it just grew from there. Really, as we drove down, parked the car, walked up the tractor lines to go into it, and then stepping inside, there was just this. It was almost as if the air changed inside. The, the the quality of the oxygen or the quality of the atmosphere inside of it changed. I, I felt this subtle but perceptible change. Um, and then we walked around, and 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 one of the things that struck me, <clears throat> we could see we'd seen it from across the hill, as I mentioned. But when you're inside it, you really can't see what the design is. Um, you, you really need to rise above it. Um, to, to, to actually get a good view of what the design is. When you're walking around inside, it's just uh, avenues and paths, and, and then you walk out into openings. It's like, like walking in a kind of unique maze. Yeah, and, and Darcy, let me bring you in. For, for you as a director, I mean, when, how did you find out about crop circles? What made you want to make a documentary about them? Well, I mean... Crop circles have always been around, um, you know, that they really started appearing historically back in uh, 1649 in England. And I think the prevalence or the um, story about this is it, the reason some research researchers think this happens is because um, this is really where the birth of modern farming agriculture is. I mean, the Sumerians had agriculture and 5000 BC, but uh, really the modern world of farming and, and modern agriculture came uh, to England and in this area specifically first. And um, this is, you know, really where civilization kind of spread out throughout the globe. And, uh, and I think we keep getting these messages um, in this area of the world and the crops because it's uh, a continuity thing. It's like we're going to send a message here over and over and over every year, every spring, summer period. And when they see them, they can decipher what we're trying to say and they'll know we're here and they'll know we're watching them type of thing. Um, that's the sort of theory. I got into this, you know, probably when I was a kid uh, or a teenager, for for example, you know, you see films like Signs, M. Night Shyamalan's very mm -hmm. Hitchcock type film. Um, and obviously that's that's a horror sort of thriller. But um, he touched on just with the name 
signs and the the crop circles at the very starting um, as being messages or some kind of tracking or or communication the the aliens in that were using to uh, invade the planet, right? Which is definitely not the case in reality. In reality, they seem to be messages of peace and uh, caring, you know, and 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 knowing. Um, and I'm sure Gary will go into that more. But uh, I was fascinated by the story. I was fascinated by Gary's involvement and that he was an eyewitness to one being laid out, you know, in in mere hours. That is so complex. If you look at it, you know, over a thousand feet uh, long, you look at examples of man-made crop circles and and I'm sure he will go into that, but uh, some of them, you know, take a week to do with 40 people and the world famous crop circle hoaxers that said that they created all crop circles, you know, uh, from 1970 on, <clears throat> were Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley, and they're both they're passed away now. Crop circles are still showing up every summer and every year. Uh, there was one that was a COVID-19 uh, design that showed up last year. Um, so it can't be all man-made. And yes, there are man-made crop circles, but it's my firm belief that. Um, the most complex ones that seem to show signs of some other type of technology creating them than just a, a board of wood and rope um, are made by some kind of intelligence off planet. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll definitely get into the uh, the messaging because that that's really compelling in the documentary. Uh, without giving too much away, we'll get into that in, in a second, but. I um, I should clarify this. I keep saying crop circles because that's the title of the documentary. But I guess Gary, you would be the perfect one to to clarify this part. Kind of like Darcy, kind of like when we had Stephen on, where he said it's not really UFO anymore. Now it's UAP. Uh, I've heard of the term crop circles. It's been around. The term has been around for a while, but not all of them are circles. Actual circles. They're actually very intricate designs. As again, you'll see in the documentary. So, so is the more accurate term, would, would it be crop formations rather than crop circles? Yeah, I tend to use formations more than circles these days. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's like anything really, what the, the original word sticks and it stays in the kind of collective psyche and everybody knows them as crop circles, but it's not, it's not an accurate definition. It's not an accurate definition because most of them are actually laid on uneven ground. Um, you know, there's very few areas in Wiltshire where the area, the, the ground is flat. So what happens is they lay down, let's say, a simple circle, but it's actually oval shaped so that it looks circular from the air. So, so, so the better description would be crop ovals or crop eggs or something like that. <laughs> that would never stick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you'll see it in the documentary. Not all of them are, some are circles, uh, but most of them, especially towards the end of the documentary, you'll see some very, very intricate designs. And uh, like Darcy just mentioned, the one, the I wasn't even aware of this. The one that came, was it last year when it came out? The, um, the COVID-19 one? Last year. That's right. Yeah. It was May 27th, I think. On, yeah. Um, yeah. Last year. Yeah, that one honestly, and you you guys will see when you when you watch the documentary that is quite a jaw dropper, really. When when you see that, it's like, no way, you can't believe it. Um, but but Gary, let me, let me go back to before we, we 
get into the documentary. Let me go back to uh, you. Obviously, have your experience. I'll have you talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. But what to, in your research, what has been what you would consider the most compelling piece of evidence that that crop circles are not man-made? Um, <clears throat> well, that was I was very fortunate in uh, to get in in the early days and be directed toward the right people uh, who were you know researching these things on a serious footing. Um, and that one of those was called uh, one of those gentlemen was called John Martineau. Uh, there's another man called John Michelle, and there's another man who I worked very closely with for more than ten years, who sadly died last year. He was Professor Michael Glickman, who was an architect, professor of architecture from the University of Southern California, and they really got me into the geometry of the crop circles. And as a result of that, you know, I've I've looked into what the ancient Greeks were up to with regards to uh, using ge- uh, geometry as a tool a philosophical tool for understanding the nature of reality and the nature of truth and how order in you know the universe and indeed on our planet is is all laid out by simple simple geometric ratios um, now what they got me into was the fact that when you see a design you see a complex geometrical design maybe sixfold design in the in the in the fields and when you look at the elements of that you will find that there are hidden reference points which reveal a hidden or underlying geometry. Now, some of those, uh, let me give you an example. In 1998, one of the most classic crop circles is, um, they call them quintuplets. That's where you have a circle in the center and you have four satellite circles around the outside. So we started, we, we, we sort of gave a nomenclature to, to those where we call the inner circle the mother circle and the and the, the circles around the outside, the daughter circles. Now, those have been the most prolific kinds of crop circles, and it's where people thought, you know, this is where spaceships are landing, and it's the four, four legs of the spaceship, and the, and the circle in the middle is where the engine is, you know, like the kind of lunar lander. Um, but, but those formations actually contain solutions to an ancient mathematical problem called squaring the circle. Now, there's heaps and heaps and heaps of symbolism involved in this particular diagram of squaring the circle. Um, and the meaning of it is somewhat elusive, but it's about essentially uniting heaven and earth. The square represents the earth. It's fourfold. It's rational. Um, we have four directions. We have four seasons and so on. So the square has always been a symbol that's uh, represented the earth, whereas the circle because you have a diameter of a circle, which is one side of a square, and then you, when you measure the relationship between that diameter and the circumference of a circle, you have a relationship between something which is finite and something which is infinite. So the circle, like the circle of the sky, when you watch this, you know, the stars and the planets go around us in a circle, these were taken to me, this was taken to mean the heavens. So... When you look back through history, you see that people were crazy, especially back in the ancient Greek times. And then right the way through to the French academies in, in, the, in the 1800s, where they actually banned people from trying to square the circle anymore um, because they said it's just a, a, a useless pursuit. But one thing that you can do is you can look back through all of those academic records and you can see how close people got to finding a solution. And 
quite typical of human beings, we went further and further and further into complexity to try and solve or reconcile a square with a circle, which is impossible, of course, but you can get very close. Well, these five dots, these quintuplet crop circles, um, Michael Glickman in 1998 found that one of them squared the circle to 99.9% accuracy. So another researcher by the name of Alan Brown went back over the 25-year history of these quintuplets of all different shapes and sizes and found that they had been consistently solving this ancient mathematical problem for 25 years right under our noses and we hadn't even noticed. Now, that to me showed an intellectual profile because if you can take something which is very, very complicated and make it very, very simple so that I could teach my children how to do it when they were eight years old, that to me def defines high intelligence. And that hidden implicit solution that was tantalizingly right under our noses for 25 years um, demonstrated to me that we're dealing with something here that is egoless because I think if a human being came along and solved a problem that Plato tried to solve and, the, uh, uh, and got, got a better result, they would be shouting it from the rooftop. Mm. But these, these crop circle makers did not. They left it there for us to discover. That to me is the most impressive thing about crop circles. Yeah, I mean, as you were saying all that, I, I was thinking that I've been different since I was a kid. I mean, that's why I do a show called Paranormal Perception. I've always had an interest in the paranormal, the supernatural, the anything that's different. And that includes, U, well, I guess UAPs, which I'm supposed to say now, <laughs> but, but and also Cropsook. I've known about that, but it wasn't. And Darcy, I got to thank you again. A great documentary. I'm sure it's going to do this for a lot of people that watch it also. I never connected those dots that, that Gary was just saying where it may be communication. It may be messages that are being left there. And if, in fact, you cover it towards the end of the documentary where it, it looks like finally, after all these decades, we may be communicating. We leave a message. They leave a message. Then we leave a message where there may, may be some com communication there. So what I find unbelievable is not that they're there, but that after all of that, and especially in modern times of what we're seeing now, people still doubt that they come from a source other than human. I, I mean, I mean, there might be some, but the, the, some are so, so complicated, and, and especially because they usually turn up, Gary, they turn up overnight, right? It doesn't take, that's they, right. They don't yep. show up like within weeks. So to do that within hours, and yeah, it could, you know, it could take all night from midnight to say five, six a.m. when the sun comes up, but still, for some of the some of these designs are very very intricate. I I highly doubt, no matter how talented the artist is, that they they can't do it just overnight, just just one person or even two people. So it it I find it unbelievable that people still doubt that they are coming from another source other than humans. Yeah, I think I think that the the human response to the phenomenon is phenomenon like the crop circles are phenomena A. And the, and the response that the, the general public have given to the crop circles, despite all the evidence, is phenomena B, because that's just as mysterious why people can't accept the, the rational argument. I, you know, I've often said to people, um, okay, look, here's a piece of paper. I want you to draw this complex sevenfold geometric design, okay? And here's a rule. You're not allowed to use a rubber because... You know, once you lay down crop, you can't make it stand back up again. So there's no room for any mistakes whatsoever. 
So they sit down and they'll try to draw this on a piece of A4 paper. Then I'll say to them, okay, what I'm going to do now is turn the lights off and I'm going to move the sheet of paper from the flat surface that you've just been working on onto an uneven surface in the dark. Now I want you to do it without making any mistakes. And that's how ridiculous this is, just if you think of it, of doing it on a piece of paper. Then do it over a 700, 800, 900 foot piece of uneven flat, uh, uneven ground in the, in the middle of darkness in Wiltshire. And, and then, then you're jumping into completely ridiculous realms. Yeah, well, yeah, because that's the other thing. Also, they're not—they're not small. These things are huge. So huge. It's, yeah, it'll—it'll it'll take you a while to, to get one <laughs> if you're gonna do it. Um, exactly. But let me have you both, uh, Darcy, as a filmmaker, Gary, you as somebody who is who has seen crop circles form in front of you and you 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 researched them for a while. Uh, why do you both think, especially today, where we, we it seems like we have video of everything? There's cameras everywhere on our phones at gas station in the streets everywhere. And we, we pretty much capture everything that happens in our lives today. Knowing that today, uh, again, Darcy as a filmmaker, Gary Yu as the researcher, why do, why do you think people still doubt video evidence, especially more modern video evidence? Well, <clears throat> I'll just say this. I mean, people are shocked that crop circles are still a thing. They became really popular in the, the early 90s, the late 70s and 80s, because they were popping up um, and there was all this controversy. People were saying they're not made by these guys, Doug and Dave, and they were coming in greater p- complexity. And uh, a scientist from Michigan, William C. Levingood, was doing his research on some of these crops that they assumed were not man-made. and he deduced that there was some kind of radiation creating them. So there was all this data uh, kind of colliding against each other, uh, skeptic versus uh, believers. And, you know, here we are in 2021 and they're still coming, but they're not being reported in mainstream media. And in fact, you know, I show in the documentary, BBC News did an article in 2020 saying, hey, the creators of all the crop circles, um, Doug and Dave Chorley, are both dead now. Uh, I think it was Doug Bauer had just died. And this is the story. They're the ones that created all of the crop circles. So this is the problem. It's the mainstream media reporting one side of the story and never covering the information, the data, the science that's been collected over the years proving that this is just impossible, that all of them are made by man. And um, that's why I believe it's underrepresented. It's just the mainstream media ignores it. I think mainstream media is really excited now about the Air Force, the military, and their videos being released on UFOs. Um, it would be interesting when disclosure, you know, we had Stephen Bassett on before, if that eventually starts happening in greater detail, um, if people turn their eyes back to this phenomenon and say, Hey, this was always a thing and it still is a thing and it is real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Gary, why, why do you think that people don't, don't, don't believe in video evidence that we have now? 
Uh, well, video evidence is, you know, it seems to me that the people who shout loudest, uh, especially like, for example, the, the piece that Darcy's got in the um, documentary about um, Oliver's Castle, where you can see several orbs fly over a field and a crop circle falls down. That was filmed in 1996. And I go through in some detail in the documentary about how that couldn't be fake at the time. The technology um, just wasn't there as it is now on modern laptops, you've got motion graphics and after effects and so on, and you can create some pretty convincing stuff. But it's still able to be detected that that's motion graphics by experts after the event. But with that event that happened in 1996, we had you know, a, a mini DV camcorder that was handheld. It was, it was moving up and down, so the horizon line was constantly shifting, and yet the orbs remained at the same constant, consistent height above the crop and the crop circle, which wasn't there the day before, was there in the morning. And so um, the people that claimed that this was this, this young lad drove to a, a film studio in Bristol and, and quickly knocked this thing out in a couple of hours to come back and show everybody at the, uh, it was the research place, it was called the Barge Inn in those days, to show everybody this film is just nonsense. We, in 2004, we, we, we asked some Disney animators if this would have been possible at the time using 1996 uh, technology. And they said, well, we'd have a go. It'd probably take us a couple of weeks. And to be honest, we don't think we'd get, you would be able to see the after effects on the, on the, uh, the artifacts on the, on the orbs and so on. So then you have to ask yourself a question. Why do people, you know, not believe facts and data that's put in front of them? Why are facts irrelevant? And, and, and I got quite interested in this and read a, read a book um, a couple of years ago by a woman called Margaret Heffernan. Um, she wrote a book called Willful Blindness. And during, in that book, she, she points out a number of stories where, despite being pre presented with overwhelming evidence of various things, people won't accept them. She gives a story of an asbestos factory in the United States that's you know, kind of the mainstay of a, of a town that she lives in. And she, you know, she wonders why people are dying of respiratory illness very young. And so she looks into it. And the more she looks into it, the more she realizes that despite the factory's propaganda, the asbestos is perfectly safe, it's killing people. Now, when she goes to, the, to, the, to her residence, to her, you know, to her neighbors and her community with this information, they shun her. They don't want to hear it because they've got a vested interest in keeping the factory running because it pays for the bills and it pays the mortgage and it puts food on the table. And then when you go further down the road with this kind of willful blindness, you see, for example, with reality, people have got their feet on the ground uh, believing what they believe and it keeps them you know, stable every morning. If somebody like myself, a whistleblower for reality, comes along and says, look, the laws of physics as we know them, they're not right. There's something else. Religion as we know it might not be right. Economics as we currently live might not be right. This is so radical. There's one other example I'll give you. When John Mack wrote his books about alien abduction, he tells a story of going to, uh, he was walking across towards a lecture hall and he met up with a colleague who ran a huge um, physics department and um, our astrophysics department. And he said to John Mack, if what you're writing is true, then all of this will be over. 
and he was pointing to the building. I think I think these are some of the reasons, not all of the reasons, why you get people to a certain point on the branch, and then the branch starts to wobble, and their feet under the, you know, the ground under their feet gets a little bit more unstable, and they run back. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is. When when I when I ask that question, I, I I'm I should exclude people that are listening to us right now. The 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 paranormal enthusiasts, people that are into supernatural, they they love your research and and all the documentaries that Darcy does. They obviously they they believe that's why they watch them, that's why they listen to shows like this. But people, I should say, not normal, just say everyday citizens. If they run across this, they start learning about the the phenomenon and they want to know more. When they see these things, because I'll, I'll say this, when when I first saw the documentary, and I've, like I said, I've known about crop circles before. I, don't, I haven't researched them as, uh, as detailed as you have, Gary, but I, I, I know about them. But uh, that was the first time I actually saw the video, the, uh, the Oliver's Castle video. I'd never seen that before. And, and when I saw it, I said, and this, again, this is someone who already believed. I didn't need to be convinced. I said... That that is the most convincing piece of video I've ever seen anywhere. One because there's the two orbs, but then at the same time you see it instantaneously uh, forming uh, uh, under it. Now, Darcy, you you as a filmmaker now, and, and myself also I, with the multimedia company, I do with I deal with visual effects and and all that. So today, maybe like Gary was saying, maybe we could probably recreate it using After Effects or or, or you know the, all the software we have today. But in '96. Yeah, and and us as filmmakers, people that deal with special effects, we can tell when something is fake. When I watched, you know, there's television, there's a uh, uh, reality shows on TV, paranormal caught on video, and things like that. Some of them I can tell that are that they're faked uh, if you have that eye. But but with this one, uh, I rewound it. I don't know how many times and watched it over and over and over and over, and I cannot find anything that tells me this is this is faked, especially. The fact that it's 1996 technology, so yeah, you would have definitely been able to, t- to tell something. You would have found something that that it was fake, and and, and, and even it's not if it, there. And even if it was um, Henry, then then you've got time frame again. This this time frame issue always comes into consideration. This guy filmed this at around 4 a.m. in the morning at first light, yeah. and he was he was showing it to people six hours later. And we're expected to believe that he drove 20 miles to a studio from there immediately. You know, got this thing edited up, um, and then drove uh, thirty miles back to the the location where everybody was to show it to them, and obviously coordinated with somebody to make the crop circle that was there at the same time. This is this was a nineteen year old boy. Yeah, yeah, I was going to point that out actually because today maybe you know through social media you can reach out to someone like Darcy or other filmmakers, and maybe you can get get a hold of them, but. Yeah, yeah, 19 year old kid in 96. (laughs) Doubt it. Yeah. And on top of that, he was from Australia. So he was a fish out of water. You know, he traveled all the way from the other side of the planet. You know, if you look at where the continent of Australia is, it's in the southern hemisphere at the farthest east you can go. Um, And he went to the UK because at that time, like I said, in the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, the popularity of crop circles was roaring and people were traveling all from all over the world to see crop circles as they appear and walk onto these farmers land, um, you know, sometimes without permission just to go into the crop circles because they were so inspired by them. And so, you know, in awe. 
Um, and so this 19 year old Australian, uh, young adult had flown over there, coordinated with the animators to create this recorded on a mini DV camera and then like, uh, edited it, put it back onto the mini DV camera and then went to a pub and showed it to everybody after it was created. And then everybody finds the crop circle, you know, that day and start going into it. I don't think so. Um, and you know, the, the crazy thing is we talked about media before, um, kind of telling their own story to distract or disinform, uh, national geographic did a documentary on this back in the early two thousands. Um, and the whole documentary is a hit piece on crop circles being made by anything other than man. Um, and they, you know, do some really intricate crop circles. They make them with wooden wood boards and rope, and they make them look similar to some of the ones we see in this documentary. But the difference being is that they do them, they edit the film so that it's like, oh, they, they did this and poof, they show it the next day. You know, they don't show the passage of time, how long it took them to do it. Um, and Gary's even said on other podcasts, um, Asahi, uh, the Japanese beer company, they hired, they contracted a marketing team and, and a bunch of engineers to make their logo in a crop circle. Uh, it took them a week, 40 men. And, uh, you know, they use tractors and all kinds of technology on a flat piece of terrain. So, you know, and, and that is just a beer label. You look at some of these complex crop circles, especially the one that showed a, uh, a phantom effect the following year. Um, I think it's Clayton Hill, right, Gary? Clay, Clay Hill, yeah. Yeah, Clay Hill. Um, in 2017, that appeared. It's a 3D geometric shape that's massive. And the next year where this, this new crop was growing, the same crop circle appears because the crop was impaired to grow over that same area, meaning that there was something that happened physically that was different than just somebody creating a crop circle with wood boards and, and ropes. Uh, there was some kind of strange paranormal effect that created this crop circle shadow. And, um, you know, I'm kind of on a rant here, but I'll just go back. You know, Gary was saying this willful blindness. That psychological effect is something that can be called cognitive dissonance it's yeah, where absolutely. you have this absolutely incredible belief that you already have in your brain and then other ideas that are new that are powerful that can challenge that belief system you already have they start to come to you and because you have this cognitive dissonance you almost have this shield around your mind to prevent your belief system from being changed, all of these new ideas just basically bounce off. And uh, we see that in science. We see that in, uh, you know, religion. We see that in all kinds of systems that are already in place. When new ideas come, they get smacked down and, and um, you know, told they're wrong and, uh, you know, 
Just look at Galileo and look at Copernicus. He Copernicus says the Earth revol it the universe revolves around the Earth. Galileo does actual mathematic observations with his telescope and says, no, we revolve around the sun. The center of our solar system or the universe as they knew it then is the sun. And of course, we've evolved that uh, theory from then to what we have today, but he went to jail, you know, and he was not allowed to teach that, uh, that theory. It's it's always going to happen in history and and crop circles and U, UAPs. It's just a perfect example of of this same uh, phenomenon in not allowing this this intellectual thinking to be in the mainstream. Yeah, I mean that that's honestly that's the reason why I wanted you and especially Stephen Bassett to come on when we talked about disclosure that we're on this countdown uh, here in the U.S. The towards disclosure, I think it, he said in June it's supposed to happen. Because, yeah, I mean, we 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 need to start knowing that. Like I said, like we mentioned in that interview, there there's a lot of um, cameras, there's a lot of evidence, and and it, it's now we're, we're connected because of um, technology. So you can report, you can people can learn more about this stuff. Uh, but let, let me go back to the uh, the documentary because something something else that I learned from the documentary, and, and honestly, I I can't believe I didn't know this is that there's actually seasons, crop circle seasons. I thought it was, they just showed up whenever. So, uh, either Gary or, or Darcy, either one of you, like when, when is, um, crop circle season? When, when is that? Well, the canola, the first crop to come up is in the springtime is canola. Um, and so you, you depending on the weather, it could be two weeks, two weeks, either way, you can start to see the first crop fields of yellow flowers around the middle of April. And we've had crop circles on the 15th of April um, and right the way through then uh, the wheat, it's the way it, go, it goes from canola, then the barley crop is, 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 um, is second and then wheat and wheat normally matures and it will, it will, the crop circles will appear in, in green wheat and then when it ripens and goes to a golden color, they'll appear in those two. And that's normally harvested, again, dependent on the weather. Um, by around the end of August, 25th, 26th of August. But then you've got maize or corn, which can go on through September and even into early October. Uh, and we've had crop circles in those kinds of crops as well. So you can, you can normally expect crop circle season to be from around April until around August. And if, if, um, if, if the intelligence that makes them decides, we can get corn circles, which will go on into September and sometimes early October. Has has that always been the case, or when when did that start? No, that's always been the case. Um, I mean, the the corn circles are more rare. There's there's not a number of incidences of them. I can't tell you how many off the top of my head, but there's there's certainly been you know more than a dozen corn circles, and those things it's like walking into the Amazon rainforest. You know, it's way way above your head. There are no tractor lines in cornfields, so you just kind of kind of get an aerial shot, you've got to find a local landmark like a tree or something, and then you walk up the road, line yourself up with that tree, and then march into the field. And after a couple of hundred yards, you're, you're really doubting yourself that you're going to find it. And then all of a sudden you walk out, and there it is. And these thick stalks, you find them bent over. Um, they can be a combination of broken and bent because of the nature of them being dry and so on. Um, and then they're all laid out. And then after that, the crops are harvested and the winter comes in. 
uh, and the fields fields lay fallow for uh, fallow for several months, and and then we start again in April. Yeah, that what you're describing. That's actually like what Darcy was saying. That's from like the movie Signs. That's what you see in there, where the cornfields are like like a forest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they really are. It's it's it's, it's the corn circles are definitely uh, an eerie aspect because because of the height of them and and because you you just completely lose your bearings when you go in. Yeah. Uh, now again, going towards uh, towards the end of the documentary, and I don't want to give it too much away. You guys uh, should watch it. Uh, you show Darcy. You show that we. It looks like we're communicating with with, with them now. Where where they leave a, a formation, we'll try to answer, and then we'll we'll be we'll actually receive an answer a few a few weeks later, a few months later. Uh, uh, Gary, in your research, uh, are you seeing that that we're we're communicating more using the crop circles? Uh, well, there've been a number of attempts. I mean, the one that's um, that to um you know it's it's a very striking piece of evidence because you know um carl sagan sent out a message from the arecibo space telescope in 1974 uh to m32 or whatever it is star cluster that, that where they decided the message should go where there's more chance of being intelligent life they sent this message off into space and it was a tenfold message which basically said here we are we're humans we live on this planet by we've got a moon uh, here's our DNA structure. We use a base count of 10. Um, and, you know, it kind of gave basic information. And then the final message, the final 10th point of the message was we showed a diagram of the Arecibo telescope, which is the technology we use to send the message into space. In 2001, at a place called Chill Bolton, where there's a massive kind of radio telescope, um, we had a reply to that message in the same form. Only this time, it showed. Um, an alien uh, figure of about three foot something tall rather than a human figure. You know, we sent the message, we showed a, a diagram of a human figure, average height of about five nine. This showed a, a little typical sort of gray, about three foot tall. It showed their DNA structure with the addition of silicon um, and a number of other details. And next to that, in the same field, was a face. It looked like a face wearing a pair of sunglasses that was kind of pushing out of the ground into the corn. And it was done by using lots and lots of different sized circles. So do you remember old newspaper print? When you look closely at it, you used to notice that the images were all made up of little circles of different sizes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This was a technique that was developed, I think, in the 20s by a man called Eugene Ives. Um, and it revolutionized print technology. Well, the, the, whoever did, made this crop circle of the face used this same method to uh, imprint this face. You know, you know those, you know those um, toys where you push your hand into a load of pins and your hand comes out the other, the image of your hand comes out the other side. Yeah, it's almost like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, know what they're called, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're called. So, so there we have a reply to the message we sent into space in 1974, saying, "Hello, we're the aliens." Uh, we, we live on a planet that's got three moons and we inhabit these three moons. Our population is like 30 million compared to your whatever it was when we sent the message. Um, and Carl Sagan was consulted about it and said, well, what do you think? You know, there's a, there's a reply to your message here in a field. Oh, don't be silly. He said, they'd never reply in a crop circle. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about these crop circles, uh, you were talking about how they kind of look in their design, how they're created. I think the best way to describe the most complex ones is they look like they're 3D printed, mm. you know, um, 3D printing uses the medium of 
melted plastic and you know we're getting into the future possibly 3d printed homes that use like concrete being laid in layers and stuff um this medium is plant life and they're somehow manipulating it so that it, it gets 3d printed these incredible communications these messages did i lose you darcy sorry i'm sorry i got cut out there yeah and i just think it's so fascinating that we're getting these direct messages to something we sent out in space the purpose of that probe is to communicate with our neighbors in the cosmos and then we get a message back saying hey guys we're here this is this is us here's our 10 points that are in reply to yours and you know here's our dna we had our dna structure in that arecibo message theirs uh is different and you know their their form is different and it just it's incredible uh it just com- gets completely ignored by mainstream science but if you talk to people like Stephen Bassett, he'll say embargo. You know, there must be some kind of rule or law that's in place that prevents mainstream scientific institutions, government agencies, uh, national defense agencies, you know, CIA, FBI, NSA, these guys from talking about these things unless this law gets lifted or they change their stance on it um because it just since forever since 1947 when we the air force said they had a crash craft and then changed it to a weather balloon uh after their first press release um the story has always been a cover-up since then or ignore it you know one day maybe this is just me growing up reading comic books and watching sci-fi movies but i really hope one day we they the the visitors they bypass all governments american you know all governments in the, in the planet and they just show up and say hey we're here we've been here all along and that's i think that's the only time when we can't there's no there's no denying there's no control there's no nothing they just show up and hey we're here and okay let, let's move on as, as humans so maybe wishful things thinking on my, my part my former colleague uh, michael blickman used to be asked that question quite often you know if the aliens are here and they're doing all these crop circles why don't they just show up and land on the lawn of the white house you know and he said and i love his answer he said would you land in a mental hospital if they were armed <laughs> <laughs> yeah i th- think that's the problem i think if people really look at the history of this subject um especially early on we were trying to shoot them down. You look at the Battle of L.A., which is an actual historical event yeah. in the 1940s. Um, yeah, I was we unloaded, say it's, it's not the movie, un- the sci-fi movie. Yeah, there's, act- there's an actual event called the Battle of L.A. Yeah, you can listen to the news radio broadcast that's mm-hmm. been preserved since then. And they say, an unidentified flying object was located over top of Los Angeles last night. Uh, the army and authorities unloaded over 1,200 artillery shells. And, you know, people died from that event because of the falling shells that were not taking down this craft, just hovering over um, Los Angeles. And there were spotlights and everything on it. And, of course, it has that classic disc shape with an aura. And um, 
that's what we've been doing. And I'm sure our military has been looking after the coverage of this and making sure that they, if they are shooting, trying to shoot these things down to recover technology and stuff throughout history, um, they probably know now, okay, we can't just bypass these guys and try to land. They're getting pretty clever with their technology. They're getting pretty aggressive with their space and space endeavors and security around the planet. Let's maybe not try and sneak around them. Um, cause it's dangerous. And I think, you know, the only reason there might be a disclosure is because <laughs> the military can't keep on top of it. And they're actually trying to, um, uh, strike a little fear in us so that they know like so we know well if they can't keep on top of it then these things definitely are from off world yeah yeah and always always a control at the end of the day is what it, what it's about controlling the narrative and, and everything um so uh, i was gonna have you uh gary's gonna have you talk about your your experience but i i want to actually save that i'm sure some people that are listening that are familiar with you they know your experience but I want them to, because you really go into detail on, in the documentary, which again, it's out right now. I have a link on the show description. So instead of what I'm going to ask you is, well, for two things. One, first, have you been able to watch the full documentary yet? The Darcy's yes, documentary. I have. Okay. Yes, I have. So you, with all your research, did you learn anything new watching uh, Darcy's documentary? Uh, I'd like to say yes, but no. <laughs> 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 no, I've got. I mean, you know, one of the challenges is unpacking all of this stuff. There's, there's so many different, you know, areas it can go off into. I've, I've researched consciousness with regards to psychedelics and shamanism. And, and um, there's, all, there's a whole bunch of work that I've done with regards to our ancestors who built the stone circles in Wiltshire that were no doubt shamanic druid type communities that had relationships with plants like other indigenous tribes. I believe there's a connection there. Um, there's, there's, there's a bunch of different things which, which are kind of like a jigsaw puzzle laid out on the table, which, which hasn't come together yet, but, but I know that they're all relevant. There's, I went to Africa as a result of um, understanding that geometry is number in time and music, uh, sorry, geometry is number in space, like a triangle is three in space and a square is four in space, and music is number in time. And we, we in the West, we've become so accustomed to this monorhythmic music. You listen to any music and the drum beats behind it are doof, daff, doof, daff. Whereas when you go to Africa and study some of the indigenous music that's been around for sort of 80 generations, they play with polyrhythmic music. Now, if you visualize polyrhythmic music, it makes ge geometric designs. And so I believe there's a connection between indigenous music and how they use this to alter their consciousness to perhaps contact other elemental beings or other alien beings or whatever is also connected. There's so many things I've, I've gone through over the years that, I, that I'm trying to put together in a book to unpack, um, not as a complete puzzle, as a complete, you know, completed jigsaw puzzle, but there's elements of it that maybe someone can, else can come along and say, ah, oh, have you thought about this and help me with a link, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we in Western society, we're so, we, we think we're so modern that we don't think that before us, there were other civilizations that, that were here. And they weren't, I'll use the word, corrupted by social media and all the stuff that we have today. So maybe, yeah, the visitors did come down because they, they saw them as like, hey, these guys aren't yeah. crazy. And yeah. that was their communication with them. Yeah, I think what we think of as primitive technology, like the music and various other things, 
I think some of these some of these things will go a little way to under us understanding how they built these monuments around the world. You know, here in Mexico and in Egypt and in in all the other places around the world where we can't, with our modern technology, explain how these people built these monuments. I think that the old technology will will get a revival in some ways um, and supersede what we think of as, you know, great, great achievements with MacBooks and iPhones and so on. Yeah. Well, I got to say yes, because some of the modern buildings we have today, for example, when I used to live in San Francisco, there's that huge Salesforce building in the middle of the city. Now it's sinking. Obviously, there was Mm. some uh, not good thinking when that went (laughs) Pyramids, they're still around. So they exactly. knew what they were doing. <laughs> so, they yeah, made but, them earthquake proof. They yeah. <laughs> knew that they would last. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so to finish out, let me have both of you. Um, like I mentioned, this audience of this in the paranormal perception, they're going to love it. They're going to get a lot out of it. But somebody who is just discovering the crop circle phenomena that, that wants to learn and they, and they use this documentary as a jump off, uh, jump off point, what do you hope someone like that or just, just an everyday citizen if they watch the documentary, what do you hope they take away from it? I would just hope that they take away that not all crop circles are made by man, that there's a history of um, ET presence here on Earth, and the crop circle phenomenon is a perfect perfect example of that, um, and that there's an active persuasion from mainstream media to debunk this um and people like gary king are out there researching the these that as they appear every year and um you know he's been in over 900 crop circles himself physically and uh we need to he's a hero to this subject people need to take people like him seriously um i would i would i would echo exactly what darcy said um there are some people that say 95% of the crop circles are man-made, and there's this little 5% that we can't explain, right? That became a narrative, which is absolute bullshit. There are other people who say it's 80-20, 80% are man-made, 20% are mysterious. In, I, I would say probably 90, just above 90% are mysterious, and 10% are easily dismissible as man-made. But regardless of the percentages, let's just say... 20% of them are not man-made and we can't explain them. That means we have something seriously uh, serious to consider because we are being communicated with by another intelligence that wants to get our attention, that wants to send us a message, and we should focus on that. I always say, look, if I lay out the 7,000 pictures of all the crop circles that have appeared so far around the world and we lay them out on the table, we say, okay, which ones do you think are man-made? And we, and we push all the ones that you think are man-made to one side of the table. And then we leave, we've got the ones in the middle, which we don't know, maybe in some doubt. And then over the right-hand side of the table, we've got the ones which we are genuinely mysteriously curious about. Let's talk about those. Because what the mainstream media and the hoaxers and everybody else wants you to talk about is what's on the left-hand side of the table rather than what's on the right-hand side of the table. Absolutely. And then speaking of that, let me, let me wrap up, Gary. Talk, talk about where people can find your research, your videos, everything that you have out there. Where, where can they find it? Uh, I'm building a website at the moment. but uh, So most of my stuff is on a Facebook page. It's a Facebook group. If they, if they go forth uh, against the grain, crop circles against the grain, they'll find me. 
and they can join the group and take part in the discussion. I post videos, animations, geometric analysis. I work with a bunch of other colleagues, uh, Bert Janssen, Karen Alexander. Uh, they, you know, Steve Alexander, her husband, uh, produces great photographs, Lucy Pringle. There's still a few of us around who are, you know, getting our heads down and, and working out what we can. And it's again, it's at Facebook and what is it? Against the Grain? Against, against the Grain, yeah. Against the Grain, yeah. And I'll link, <clears throat> I'll link it up on the uh, show description for all of you guys. Darcy, go ahead and give him your website where they can find your documentaries. Yeah, uh, just head over to www.ocultjourneys.com and I have my film posters there. You can click on those. It'll go right through to a site so you can watch the film. Um, trailers are there and a description of the film if you're interested in seeing some of my other work. Yeah, definitely. Uh, at, at this point, I mean, you've like become a regular here, so they, they should know the, the website, but they haven't memorized that at this point. But I'll have it linked up on the show description. Uh, Gary, it was a pleasure meeting you and speaking to you, and uh, hopefully I'll get to speak to you again. And Darcy, another great documentary as always. So good job to both of you and stay safe. And thanks again for coming on Paranormal Perception. Thanks very much. Pleasure. You bet, Henry. Good chat, man. It's all right. Great. Great time. Yeah. And and everybody else, come on back next week. Uh, I'm not sure exactly who or what we're going to talk about, but it's definitely going to be another eye opening topic and something that, as always, will give you a new perception on the paranormal. Stay safe and have a great weekend. And that was Paranormal Perception. The facts and opinions heard on this episode are those of the guest and host of Paranormal Perception. If they make you uncomfortable or cause you to question your outlook on life, good, you're waking up. Continue that journey on the show's official website, paranormalperception.show. Contact Henry with questions, comments, or if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, Henry at paranormalperception.show. Paranormal Perception with Henry San Miguel.